keep those California Indians down. Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. From Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. As we currently reside inside of these colonial states of California, we also understand that this, uh, this violence that is caused from these forest offset projects, from these carbon markets, uh, we also hold a great responsibility that, to that as the fourth largest economy of the world. That this responsibility weighs heavy upon the people of California to, to really move us in a direction that's going to cause uh, real climate solutions to move forward. Today on American Indian Airwaves, the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. We'll hear from indigenous environmental defenders and their struggles to resist the false solutions in the carbon-based market in global capitalism while maintaining community and planetary health in a changing climate. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the United Nations for the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, the 22nd session, which is held this year from April 17th to April 28th. This year's theme is Indigenous Peoples, Human Health, Planetary and Territorial Health, and Climate Change, a Rights-Based Approach. Today, we'll hear an exclusive panel held on April 20th of 2023 titled Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of False Solutions. The panel focuses on Indigenous peoples resisting land grabs driven by the extractive industries, resisting human rights violations, and Indigenous environmental defenders resisting false solutions known as carbon markets, cap-and-trade, emissions trading, carbon offsets, environmental and ecological services, and the rebranding of reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation, also known as RED by its acronym, to nature-based solutions. The panel is sponsored and organized by the Indigenous Environmental Network. It's moderated by Tom Goldtooth, the Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network, and we'll hear in order from Tamara Gilbertston, Charlene Oliveira de Silva Hunakai, Thomas Joseph of the Hoopa Nation in Northern California, and we'll hear from Alberto Saldamando. And now, Indigenous Peoples' Health and the Violence of False Solutions. We begin with moderator Tom Goldtooth, Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. We are broadcasting this uh, just to let you know so uh, welcome to uh, this session uh, sponsored and organized by the Indigenous Environmental Network. Uh, we are an international Indigenous Peoples uh, organization. Uh, 
We've been coming to the permanent forum uh, for many of the years, including the first couple years, and as well as participating in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, the United Nations uh, Convention on Biological Diversity, and many other UN uh, uh, bodies. And so uh, we put together this presentation around a very important issue uh, thank you for coming and responding to the, your interest in the title, Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of False Solutions. Uh, we feel that this is a very important uh, discussion that uh, in our observation, uh, in participating in many Indigenous forums and meetings globally, uh, but also here in the United States and Canada, uh, what I have called in the belly of the beast of capitalism. Uh, we have observed and also have first-hand knowledge that many of our indigenous peoples uh, uh, from the community uh, have not been given the full understanding of uh, the complicated area of uh, carbon markets, uh, cap and trade, emissions trading, carbon offsets, uh, environmental and ecological services, and now the rebranding of what uh, I have seen, the rebranding of reducing emissions from forest, from uh, deforestation and forest degradation called RED uh, into uh, another terminology called nature-based solutions. So we've been very concerned about this, especially in uh, looking at uh, protection mechanisms uh, to prevent human rights violation, uh, land grabs, and, and, uh, and whether or not uh, a market system really actually uh, reduces admissions at the at the scale that is required to meet a 1.5 uh, Celsius goal. So uh, as an indigenous organization, we've been involved with, this, uh, with this, this issue for a number of years. We've collected data and researched reliable uh, reports, but also looking at uh, other climate fault solutions that are being uh, negotiated, in fact, implemented around geoengineering uh, technologies like carbon capture and storage or solar radiation uh, management. Most of our presentation is going to focus on the carbon market system, but uh, we have speakers here that will be looking at uh, the uh, geoengineering as well. But our, our biggest concern in uh, this week is uh, the concerns that the continuation of business of, as usual with fossil fuel development uh, continues this act of violence against our women, against our children, our families, our elders, not, not only in the north but in the south. We have the continuation of the criminalization and the assassination of indigenous peoples uh, who stand up to defend uh, the rights of Mother Earth, the rights of Father Sky, 
to defend, who are earth defenders, water defenders, air defenders. So it's a very important issue. So we have uh, speakers here from from different areas. Um, my name is Tom Gotooth. Uh, I am the executive director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. Um, so I'm uh, very happy to, to introduce this panel. I'm going to proceed right now uh, and continue to uh, um, go forward here. Our um, first speaker here uh, will be Tamara Gilbertson. She's our Climate Justice Program Coordinator with our Indigenous Environmental Network. So Tamara, if you can uh, yeah, proceed. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you for the participants here in person and also for the participants who are joining us virtually. Um, I want to thank everyone for, for being here today. Over the past week here at the 22nd United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, we've heard the following words. Genocide, forced removal, land theft, colonialism, bloodshed, cultural erasure, environmental racism, violence, forced labor, global inequality, war, development, poverty, gender violence, pollution, health risks, cancer, deforestation, mining, extraction, missing and murdered indigenous women and femmes, criminalization, death threats, assassination. These are just a few of the words of the most extreme atrocities possible humans can commit. They are the most extreme atrocities that indigenous peoples are bearing and that continue to bear since colonialism began. And these acts are happening in a historical context and they are happening now. We have heard throughout this week from many people gathered to give testimony how indigenous peoples continue to endure these ongoing real and material impacts of colonial systems, fossil fuel regimes, and unjust economic development. And here are a few more words that will continue these atrocities that are packaged inside of an envelope to make them sound good, but they are not. Reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation, red. Carbon markets, emissions trading systems. Article six, carbon dioxide removals, carbon offsets, nature-based solutions, net zero, 1.5 degrees Celsius, carbon smart agriculture, 30 by 30. These programs are backed by the United Nations through the Paris Agreement and justified through various UN processes. Yet the fossil fuel industry continues to push for the expansion of carbon markets. And this is because the markets allow the fossil fuel industry to continue extraction. The inherent flaws of commodifying and financializing and exploiting Mother Earth are seen and backed by systems here at the United Nations. At the core of these mechanisms are a free pass, or a green light, or a way out for the fossil fuel and agribusiness industries to continue business as usual 
as Tom Goldtooth has pointed out. And we know this to be true. We know that these systems don't work because for over 20 years, the flagship mitigation mechanisms to reduce emissions on a global level has been based on carbon trading systems. Yet, they have colossally failed. And we know this to be true because we are in grave danger and the threat of climate change is very real and, and is happening now. It is not only that climate that suffers, but the false solutions that are backed by the UN continue the atrocities of social and environmental violence that have real and material impacts on people all over the world and especially born by indigenous peoples. Indigenous peoples are environmental defenders and frontline recipients of escalating environmental violence at extractive sites. And this reality remains unaddressed. The Indigenous Environmental Network seeks to stress how environmental peoples, indigenous peoples, at, at the forefront of climate change and continue to survive in the face of environmental violence are the ones who um, bear the brunt of mining and fracking, combustion and experiments, geoengineering experiments um, with Mother Earth blood and bones. The violence of extractivism continues due to the distraction and the deception of false solutions that block climate change mitigation from phasing out fossil fuels and other extractive energies. Compared, for example, compared to 2020 data by the, um, the World Bank, the World Bank estimates that a record 60% increase in global carbon pricing revenue was up, up to upwards of uh, $86 billion um, was made by tw in one year in 2021. Voluntary carbon markets continued to balloon and increase reshaping incentives for carbon brokers and managers to pressure indigenous peoples into offsetting their territories, resulting in more environmental and climate violence. Governments increasingly justify the revenue as a way to increase market-based mechanisms for broader policy objectives and to restore depleted public finances, while ignoring how indigenous peoples' territories are targeted and co-opted by this very misleading agenda. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're listening to a panel titled Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of False Solutions held this past April 20th of 2023 at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. The panel is moderated by Tom Goldtooth, Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. And now back to the panel. In order for the United Nations at this point to maintain any legitimacy, there must be a moratorium on these false solutions that distract us from the real work of phasing out fossil fuels at source. This begins by completely ending Article 6 of the Paris Agreement and a moratorium on all voluntary carbon markets. We do not have time to tinker with a flawed system that has failed for over two decades, and we know that it has failed because otherwise climate change would have been addressed. The only option we have now is to follow the lead of indigenous peoples 
and to phase out fossil fuels at source. So I end with these words, but I end them with a question. Power? Geopolitical positioning? Influence? Legitimacy? Misdirected? Cognitive dissidence? Climate change? United Nations? The time is up. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you, Tamara, for presenting that uh, overview of the contradictions that we are always being presented at these climate negotiations of the UN of the Framework Convention on Climate Change. Uh, and we have been there many years with indigenous peoples calling into question uh, the reporting and the monitoring systems that don't add up. Uh, and looking at uh, the investments around carbon markets, uh, carbon offsets, the 30 by 30 initiative uh, that appear to look good with images of nature. So um, our next speaker um, has traveled here from, uh, from Brazil, from the Amazon. And um, uh, I'm very uh, honored to introduce uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah Lini um, Oliveira uh, da Silva. And she's from the Hunakwai peoples. And their leader, uh, Chief uh, Ninawa, has been coming to our uh, gatherings for many years. and. I remember their leadership, uh, Chief Ninawa, has pointed out that when the United Nations talks about recognition of the traditional indigenous knowledge, uh, they have no understanding of what that means, uh, especially the depth and the uh, in, in the spirituality and the concepts of the cosmovision, the cosmology, and for our uh, experience here in the north, the view from the shore when the settlers and the colonizers first came here, the biggest difference in, that we recognize is that we weren't able to communicate with each other because we looked at life differently. And that still continues to this day, that they have developed these mechanisms of a market system uh, that is being used as a greenwash, as a cover for false fossil fuel industry to continue to pollute. So um, uh, Seralini has come here because they have firsthand experience uh, uh, rejecting the reduction of um, uh, reduction of emissions from deforestation and degradation, and she's going to speak about that. So, Sherilini, if you can present. Thank you. Buenas noches. Good evening. I am Shileni Oliveira da Silva Hunikui. I speak a little bit of Spanish. I bring the voice of the people of the Amazon rainforest in Acre, Brazil. We have felt the pollution in our lands and waters, our forests, etc. Our forests have 
changed their natural cycles. And indigenous peoples are not responsible, responsible for these changes. We are not responsible for climate change. However, we feel all the changes of nature. We live, we live in harmony with our most sacred good, our Mother Earth. We remove from the forests only what is essential for us, for our survival, and that of our families. And we don't leave any impact, and we don't leave any devastation behind. The solutions discussed by international cooperation do not reach the peoples of the Amazon. The principle of free, prior, and informed consent is not being respected. Indigenous peoples are not being informed of everything that is discussed at the forum or at the COP. And these are changes that affect directly our territories. Indigenous peoples represent less than 10% of the world's population. However, indigenous peoples preserve more than 80% of our planet. All these reasons and raising our uh, voices has caused the lives of our leaders, our women, and has affected the lives of our youth and children. They took away our rights and now they want to take away our most precious asset, our forests, where we have lived in harmony for thousands of years. Traditional populations are not benefiting from carbon trading resources. And the policies that have been established by the representatives are not accessible to all forest protectors in the Amazon region of Brazil. We have no access to resources and we have no access to our territories either, and they are being invaded by the logging industry, the oil and gas industries, etc. Our lands, our bodies, our traditions, our sacred medicine, our water, our forests, and now the lives of our older elders and our children are at risk. We are not interested in a carbon market. For us, this is a sacred good that is priceless and it determines the whole of our existence. Our children are being killed in the most, uh, in the cruelest uh, form imaginable because of uh, contamination with mercury in the water, in the fish. We go, uh, are here now, and we are crying out for help so that our people can also be consulted about what is happening with uh, the carbon market strategies. We have seen our non-contact relatives searching for our homes while they are killed and 
they are asking for help because their traditional territories have, have also been invaded. Our brothers have been isolated for a long time and they are also being affected by this lack of consent in their territories. They are not being informed ahead of time. What they are seeing is the trade of uh, carbon credits. We have resisted for thousands of years and we will continue to do it. We will continue to conserve our forests and their sacred spirits in the traditional way that our elders taught us. They taught us with all, with all the sacred teachings and not with all these false solutions that are presented today and that are not efficient for the protection of our traditions, identities and customs. Thank you. And that was the first half of the panel titled Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of False Solutions held on April 20th of 2023 at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, the 22nd session. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a short break and come back with the second part of the panel.
And that was the brand new song, The Navigator by Howard Lyons, here on American Indian Airwaves. In the second half of our show today, we go back to the panel, Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of Fault Solutions, which took place on April 20th of 2023 at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, the 22nd session. The panel focuses on Indigenous peoples resisting land grabs driven by the resource extractive industries, fighting against human rights violations and Indigenous environmental defenders, resisting false solutions known as carbon markets, cap and trade, emission trading, carbon offsets, environmental and ecological services, and the rebranding of reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation, also known by the acronym RED, to the nation-based solutions. The panel was sponsored and organized by the Indigenous Environmental Network, and the panel is moderated by Tom Goldtooth, the Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. And in the second half of today's program, we will hear from Thomas Joseph from the Hoopa Nation in Northern California, as well as Alberto Saldabando. And now, Indigenous Peoples' Health and the Violence of False Solutions, here on American Indian Airwaves. From Brazil, the Global South, which we have found to be many of the initiatives that we are talking about of... um, these market systems coming into the Amazon and, and the tropical forests. But also for those po- folks who live in the north, in the United States or Canada, we have saw the, the, the escalation of, uh, of uh, carbon offset mechanisms such as, uh, been, such as what uh, has been implemented in the state of California. Uh, a number of years ago, there was legislation that created uh, four provisions of carbon offsets that were uh, brought into their cap-and-trade program. Uh, most of those provisions uh, established mechanisms for the trading of carbon, uh, like, for an example, the state of Mexico, uh, Indonesia, uh, Ecuador. And so there was an international uh, link uh, from the domestic policies coming out of the United States. We saw a lot of the investors and a lot of U.S.-based uh, non-governmental organizations, conservation organizations that were behind uh, the development of these carbon uh, offset regimes coming out of California and their program. So our next speaker comes from California. Uh, He's our carbon pricing educator for the Indigenous Environmental Network. Uh, He comes from the local community. And and he said, you know, this is happening to my community, my people. And what could he do to help be part of a campaign of educating Indigenous peoples uh, and local communities, people that are also impacted uh, from these uh, failed programs that are still being implemented. Um, so coming from that California perspective and being an indigenous person, I introduce uh, Thomas Joseph, 
from the Hoopa uh, Nation. Thomas. Thank you, Tom, and thank you for the sisters before me that have spoken. Um, I'd like to recognize the land of the Lenape people that we currently are residing on. Uh, my, my name is Thomas Joseph. I'm a Hoopa Valley tribal member. He, him, are my pronouns. And we are located in the Six Rivers National Forest of Northern California, what's now called Northern California, uh, which is near the Redwood Forest. Um, our people have called that region our home since time of the memorial, uh, which predates any... Uh, structure of university systems today, that our knowledge-based structure is older and we have a, a direct concept of understanding the importance of a reciprocal relationship with our Mother Earth and with our forest, and we are a forest-dwelling tribe. And as a, a current, um, as we currently reside inside of these colonial states of California, we, all, we also understand that this, uh, this violence that is caused from these forest offset projects, from these carbon markets, uh, we also hold a great responsibility that, to that as the fourth largest economy of the world, that this responsibility weighs heavy uh, upon the people of California to, to really move us in a direction that's going to cause uh, real climate solutions to move forward. And as we continue to focus on, on these false solutions of, of carbon markets, um, that it doesn't give any room or space for real solutions to move forward. The Hoopa Valley people is one of the last tribes of the lower 48 states to be in contact with uh, white settlers, that we are actually in contact with, uh, with Chinese miners before white settlers. And then we've seen the onslaught of the 49er gold rush and the devastation that, this, that these miners caused and the violence that was created from their greed and from their hunger. We've seen our rivers destroyed and polluted. We've seen our, our, the biodiversity of our region greatly affected by this greed and by this hunger, this hunger for power, this uh, desire to, to gain power and control over others, over land, over resources. And we see that happening again today with these forest, with these forest offset projects. We are the largest land-based tribe in the state of California, so our land is very enticing to the corporate elites uh, to... to um, seek our lands for their forest offset projects. And as we understand the history of the United States, of their violence against indigenous peoples um, through the boarding school era, through the Indian Relocation Act, when the Indian Relocation Act was moving forward, we've seen them come into our communities and strip our mothers and our fathers and our brothers and our sisters and our cousins to be moved into these large cities as a labor force. And as they moved into these large cities, they were finding refuge and home with other people of color near infrastructure sites of oil refineries and factories, and understanding and keeping connected to their families that, that still lived on the reservation, we then got to experience the, the devastation of their health as they were more likely to have cancer, that they were more likely to have asthma, and because of their relocation into these inner cities, uh, their life expectancy was shorter than, their, than the rest of the counterparts throughout the state. And then we see how these corporations come into our lands and they study our constitution for the, for the purpose of undermining our rights as indigenous peoples so that they can undermine our constitution to push forth measures to bribe our communities into, into signing these carbon market contracts, which are 99 years, which is nothing more than the further continuation of colonialism to allow these corporations to have access to unceded indigenous lands is nothing indifferent than Western expansion, that it's manifest destiny repeating itself. And as indigenous people choose to engage in these type of contracts, 
that they're choosing to to continue this plague of colonialism upon my sister's community in the global south. That they too, when they sign these contracts, are then denied access to those ancestral territories for traditional foods and medicines. That they too are not able to um, continue their reciprocal relationship with this forest because they are denied access. We have seen these carbon brokers come into our community and hire community members to do their bidding for them. We have seen them bribe our community members to uplift their agenda for the sole purpose of profitable gain. And to me, that's nothing different than the 49er gold rush that came before them. That this type of violence is not only a detriment to the indigenous peoples of California, it is a detriment to the hum humanity of all of us. That as we move forward in a measure that allows us to offset the release of carbon emissions, that we are going to continue business as usual, will continue to plague not only the state of California, but the rest of, uh, the rest of humanity itself. These forest offset projects in the state of California have failed. That our air quality in California is no better than it was before these carbon markets were implemented. That these forest offsets of the state of California continue to threaten the biodiversities of our region. This year was the first year in over a decade where we were able to finally see ample amount of water to try to revive the, the, the horrendous uh, drought that we've been in for about 10 years. That this drought has dried up our forest to a level that it, it, it is now able to burn down complete cities, neighborhoods, that people are losing their lives because of this drought and these wildfires, because they have stricken our ability to, to manage our lands in a traditional manner, that they, that they have stricken our ability to, to continue a relationship with our lands that is not only in the best interest of, the, of humanity, but also the biodiversities and the land itself. And so what we're asking for is an, is an end to this, these colonial tactics of violence. What we're asking for is for us to understand that the continuation of carbon markets must come to an end. You can't offset the damage of one area by, by, by strickening the relationship of humans in another area. You know, when, uh, when we have these carbon brokers that come into our community, they're seen as, 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 the, as the 49er rush before them. And we must call it that. We understand as uh, Western expansion was moving that they would have scouts and that they would bribe the communities. And that still continues on today. The indigenous knowledge systems of indigenous people, not only in the state of California, but the globe, uh, needs to move forward. That we need to understand that this access to this knowledge base is not for um, the benefit of just those indigenous communities, but it's for the benefit of all humanity. And now we know and we understand that indigenous people are paying the brunt price of climate change, and yet they are the ones that are the least responsible for it because of the first commitments our indigenous people have made, that we still understand and know the importance of taking care of our space, the importance of taking care of the sacred. And so when we continue to experience the, the climate chaos that is starting to rage across this planet, that we must also understand that when we lose this indigenous knowledge system, then we lose the ability to address climate change at scale. Again, I want to thank Tom Goldtooth, IEN, and the team up here in this moment. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. As we know and what we've been talking about, uh, there's, uh, there's many atrocities that are taking place in what we are talking about. Uh, 
uh, isn't just dealing with the Americas, but it's, it's a global initiative. We met some indigenous uh, brothers and sisters here from Kenya, for an example, that are telling a similar story of the negative impa impacts of uh, red. So there's uh, human rights implications here, violations of the inherent and collective rights of indigenous peoples. In many countries in the South, uh, governments don't want to recognize the collective rights of indigenous peoples with the S on people, the collective rights. So it's a big issue, many debates around the human rights and whether there are safeguards that can be established. Our next speaker is Alberto Saldamando. Uh, he is uh, our Consul on Human Rights and Climate Change. Uh, he has attended many of the conferences of the parties of the UN uh, Framework Convention on Climate Change. Um, Alberto. Uh, thank you very much, Thelma. Just, just to, uh, to show you the corruption within the UN itself, 600 fossil fuel lobbyists and related business enterprises were present at COP27. They were there to lobby their interests and the interests of the oil companies. Uh, since 1992 and the adoption of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, for 30 years now, the industrial and rich states of the North have recognized that carbon pollution causes global warming. It's beyond any reasonable doubt. And for 30 years, they have failed even to curb it, if not eliminated altogether. It's, it, it really boggles the mind that uh, what we hope uh, would be the salvation of uh, the human race is really in the hands of those that would uh, destroy it. It's no secret that multinational development banks and U the UN are colonial organizations whose work reproduces colonial legacies of inequality. The overarching logic and origin of these institutions, as well as the specific logic within projects under each climate fund, position the Global South, indigenous peoples, and frontline communities and ignorant and or helpless instead of recognizing indigenous peoples as critically important experts of lands, waters, needs, and communities. At best, projects consult or include local communities as one voice amidst a choir of competing and powerful stakeholders, but do not ultimately share any decision-making power or direct funds, undermining efforts for sovereignty or self-determination. Moreover, traditional knowledge is either completely ignored and dismissed or picked over for bits that can be co-opted and incorporated into greenwashing projects. The relationship here is still one of extraction. Climate institutions and banks choose projects based on their ability to generate profit and maximize private sector involvement. Climate change is simply treated as the newest area for financial expansion and gain, once again entrenching the dynamic of Global North exploitation under the guise of helping the Global South. It is this history repeating itself. It is the same development paradigm that contributed to the climate crisis in the first place, this time even with less accountability, but a greener image. Crucially, these funds and larger, these funds and the larger uh, financial institutions fi uh, fi financialize climate change but do nothing to address the root cause of climate change. They do not reduce emissions or keep fossil fuels in the ground. Further, these projects are not regulated or standardized under the UNFCCC, and there is no accountability mechanism led by indigenous peoples and local communities to ensure that projects in fact address climate change. New findings, fi financing facilities and climate finance do not offer new solutions. They offer false solutions. They just funnel money into more of the same false solutions 
that have been peddled for years. The solutions pushed under the UNFCCC are false solutions that actively perpetuate the climate crisis. That includes REST Plus, which really is, if, if you've been attending the sessions here, you recognize that many indigenous peoples consider REDS as a land grab, and, as a, and, and, but they call it, the states call it a nature-based solution. Sustainable forest management, carbon trading, and climate-smart agriculture. These are the terms they use to push the financial climate and to create large climate funds within development and financial institutions, skirting around real solutions. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're listening to a panel titled Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of False Solutions held this past April 20th of 2023 at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. The panel is moderated by Tom Goldtooth, Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. And now back to the panel. They distract us from the root cause of climate change and allow polluters to keep on polluting while indigenous peoples continue to face the violent dispossession and cultural genocide of climate change. Financial institutions and fossil fuel companies greenwash their destruction so that they can continue business as usual as just carbon pollution. Their desperation to, and access to power has led to climate mitigation and adaptation focused almost entirely on market-based carbon trading systems. In order to create carbon, treat carbon as a commodity in a marketing training system, it is, a, it is necessary to put a value on carbon and claim property rights over all forms of life. Carbon traders have gained power to target and commodify indigenous people's territories, putting a price on carbon sequestered in forest, soil, water, and biodiversity. It is part of the predatory instinct of the black snake devastating the sacredness of Mother Earth and Father Sky. It disguises itself as respectful of indigenous rights and traditional knowledge, what is an insidious form of capitalism and commodifies nature and Mother Earth and corrupts the sacred. Again, if you've been attending these sessions, you've been hearing the states telling, telling us how much they care about indigenous rights and how much they care about nature and Mother Earth, and they go back home and kill us and destroy the, the environment. With billions at stake for new carbon markets, development, and so-called nature-based solutions, carbon traders are targeting indigenous people's territories all across the world. After 25 years of debate on carbon trading, Offset profiteers have pocketed billions to programs like reducing emissions, deforestation, and forest degradation, which is Red Plus. These programs have eroded indigenous people's sovereignty and done nothing to reduce carbon in the atmosphere. Forest offset management companies target indigenous territories because they are the most biodiverse places on the planet. Their, off their offsetting projects are, wholly contest are hotly contested and sadly have caused violence and division among indigenous peoples. As a result, the private sector did what they always do when challenged. They rebrand. Under the new language of nature-based solutions, forest, soil, and ocean-based offsets are often disguised to fool the public to believing that they are positive solutions to climate change. As of 2021, 92% of countries' nationally determined contributions to meet emissions reductions under the UNFCCC include some form of nature-based solutions. In other words, the majority of the world lives under the delusion that they can fix climate change without giving up fossil fuels. Hundreds of billions of dollars have flowed into the fossil fuel companies systematically polluting the planet. These financial levers can seem quite abstract, but impacts are anything but abstract for the millions of people who live on the front lines of the extraction process, processing and transportation of fossil fuels. The Indigenous Environmental Network spotlights the struggles of peoples and communities opposing fossil fuels on the ground 
and include those voices to make it clear that bank financing for fossil fuels concretely impacts the everyday lives of people worldwide. Climate change hits the frontline communities first and worst. People living in the front lines of climate chaos are predominantly indigenous peoples, black and brown communities, low-wage workers, or smallholder farmers, often living in poverty. Sometimes, as in the case of Nigeria and U.S. Gulf Coast, both featured in the Banking on Climate Change report, identifying the worst banks who have invested $3 trillion since uh, Paris into uh, fossil fuel production. They're the same people living with, with worsening hurricanes, stronger storm surges, rising sea levels, and the lasting effects of racial injustice and inequality are also part of the epicenter of the massive, dirty, health-harming fossil fuel industry. Leaders in these communities expose our current system of extract, oppose and expose our current system of extraction. In conclusion, to address climate policy inequality, strategies for climate change should for sure foreground and center indigenous people's sovereignty and jurisprudence, territorial rights, demarcation of ancestral lands, traditional indigenous knowledge, debt cancellation of the vulnerable states, and keeping it in the ground, and true reparations for indigenous peoples and local communities. and thank you. Uh, thank you, Alberto. Um, so thank you for asking me to be a moderator for this very important topic. Um, I'm going to share a couple uh, teachings that I've received uh, uh, about 1969, 2000, uh, as I started to get involved with uh, climate policy, both domestically in the United States here and globally. As we went into 2001, 2002, and 3 and 4, the debates and discussion around these issues of carbon sinks in the forest uh, going from uh, red with 1D to 2Ds, and then eventually uh, expanding the mechanisms into con the broad area of conservation and you see red plus with the little plus sign, and, and there's even uh, humor with plus, plus, and plus as the red initiative continues to be expanded. And like I said, the new branding mechanisms that I've seen, uh, like uh, nature-based solutions that uh, was all over the place uh, a couple of years ago at the Conference of the Parties in Madrid. Um, but one of the things that I, as an individual, had to do in the early years uh, around this phenomenon of, of a terminology of carbon trading and emissions trading is to ask the question, what is it that they are trading? And um, trying to understand upbringing carbon, uh, methane, other greenhouse gases, but primarily carbon into uh, a, a market trading system and treating it as a commodity is something that I really had to look at. How is it that dominant society is now uh, bringing the elements of the sacred from an indigenous perspective? from the atmosphere, the air that we breathe, into a market system. And what was really critical for me as I looked at this is that when you treat an element 
when you treat the carbon and bring it into a market system, you have to determine whose property right that is. It's a property right issue. And that's why we use the terminology in our literature that it's a form of privatization and commodification of the sacred. So right away, like I said at the beginning, is there's two cosmologies that we are operating under basically throughout the world. The indigenous cosmology and our relationship to the sacredness of Mother Earth and Father Sky, and in our relationship to the cosmos and to the universe. Uh, here in the United States, during those years of colonization, conquests, the takings of our land, the colonizers never asked us what our genesis was. What is our understanding in life, our spirituality? But you find that as we look at the world, the world is very sacred. The elements of nature are very sacred. So the concept of bringing nature, bringing carbon into a white man uh, market system and treating it as a commodity and determining who has legal rights to that is a foreign concept and a corruption of the sacred. So that's fundamental to us in our resistance, in our resistance to what we are talking about. So there's a big question of debate that indigenous peoples globally are asking themselves. Do you take part in a market system? Do you pay, take part in, in nature, these projects, uh, project nature solution projects? And what is it that we have to reconcile to participate in these foreign <laughs> concepts? Usually we're seeing the polluters, the investors, the World Bank, uh, large NGOs and governments, and especially the corporations participating aggressively coming into our communities, coming to our communities, pushing these um, initiatives, knowing that poverty is extreme. And many of our indigenous peoples uh, want to look at how can they bring their people out of poverty. And uh, it is a co-optation co process that is not ethical. It's wrong. Some of our traditional spiritual leaders in the north here, when they look at this, they call it an evil manifestation of man, of humanity. When we look back at the Paris Agreement in 2015, uh, we said this is going, we looked at this Paris Agreement basically as a trade instrument. That was something that Alberto Salamondo said. It's a trade instrument, nothing else. It did not establish any legally binding global initiative for nation states of the world to reduce their emissions. If there was any, any language, it was on a voluntary level. So what is this picture that we're talking about, that we're dealing with a global matrix system that has no value of recognition of 
what you have heard in the hallways and in the meetings of this permanent forum on indigenous rights. Uh, how much does the UN bodies and the corporations, the polluting corporations and the large NGOs that are invested in this, conservation NGOs, environmental NGOs, the World Bank and investors, how much are they committed to really understanding, learning, and implementing in their policies uh, traditional indigenous knowledge. The moment of silence is over. And that was the conclusion of the panelists speaking on the panel, Indigenous People's Health and the Violence of Fault Solutions, held on April 20th of 2023, at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, the 22nd session, which is being held from April 17th to April 28th of 2023. That concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Howard Lyons, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. And for the innocent, you can't justify why your freedom manifests on their graves. And the blood never comes clean from the guilty minds. Nor the hands that hold the chains In a rhythm of resistance We still fight for our lives In this war that never ended We've outdrawn your lives Let our actions speak When they ignore our against our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over